when you look at Estonia, they say look out of Estonia from day one because like one and a half million people live in Estonia. If you're going to make a tech business, if you're going to make a a startup like this, you've got to think worldwide from day one. And I think that's the same in Perth. Welcome to episode 81 of Startup West. My name is Steve Elias and welcome to my co-host, Brody McCulloch. Hi, Steve, and welcome to all the Startup West podcast listeners. Startup West podcast is all about startups, entrepreneurs, and innovators who have been there and done it or are right here doing it in sunny Western Australia. On this episode, we have the opportunity to chat with Matthew Hart, the founder of Sotra Analytics, a company focused on solving the workplace musculoskeletal injury problem with wearable sensors and powerful analytics. Hi, Matt. Welcome to the Startup West podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Yeah, it's fantastic to have you here. Can you tell us about your business, Sotra Analytics, uh, the story that led you there and sort of what inspired you to start the business? Yeah, absolutely. So I grew up in Perth. Um, I grew up in Armidale, actually. I went to Curtin University and I studied mechanical engineering and I then graduated, obviously, as a mechanical engineer. And I live in Perth, so I ended up in the mining industry, of course. Mm-hmm. Um, and I specialised in something in the mining industry called reliability engineering. So what reliability engineers do is we stop machines from breaking down. It's very important to keep your operation running efficiently, productively, and every time you have a machine or a piece of equipment that breaks down unexpectedly, you have an unplanned breakdown, your production stops, and the company starts losing money. So what reliability engineers were doing was they were trying to predict these breakdowns and then putting in maintenance strategies to stop the breakdown from happening. So this is called preventive maintenance. When I started, um, I was working for BHP. When I started, we were looking at a lot of historical data. So a lot of data was being captured, um, it was being recorded, and we were looking at the historical data to try to predict or analyze when certain components of the machines were breaking down. So if you had on average a starter motor that failed every 3,000 hours, change it out every 2,000 hours on a planned schedule. Mm -hmm. You know, it's much, much cheaper. But there was actually this step change that happened as well. So after a couple of years, ourselves and OEMs, so OEMs are the manufacturers of the equipment, started to put sensors on the machines. And these sensors were capturing live data. So on a haul truck, for example, I think there's something like 10,000 different sensors capturing live data. So we made a shift change, a step change from analyzing historical data to analyzing live data. And if we could spot in that live data that something was going wrong with a particular component, then we're able to make a change with that. So this completely changed how we did reliability engineering. Mm-hmm. Um, we were getting really predictive. We were getting really specific on when these breakdowns were happening. And, yeah, the, the changes we made were amazing, you know, like it would add millions of dollars of productivity onto an operation. After a couple of years of that, they shifted me to a greenfield site, which was called Jimbulba. So it was one of their new iron ore sites in the Pilbara. And the mission was, can we use the same data from the sensors and these systems to improve the actual productivity of an operation? So how do we get our cycle time shorter? How do we get our productivity reliability higher? How can we use this data to make changes that will make our operation more productive? Um, And with that, I I had a playground to play in. You know, I had so much opportunity. There were so many challenges to solve. Um, Some of the great projects I had, you know, you'd you'd reduce the cycle time of your trucks going between the digger and the crusher. You would improve how a shift chain change works. So how do we get the old operator off the machine? How do we get the new one on? How can we minimize that lost time? 
how do we fuel trucks more efficiently? You know, can we do maintenance on the trucks while they're being stopped? Like, what else can we do to increase the productivity? And these projects were huge. Like, when you do a when you do a project that shaves off like one percent of a cycle time, you're looking millions of dollars of mm. extra productivity. Mm. Maybe yeah. tens of millions, maybe hundreds of millions. And these changes were being shifted across the entire organization as well. So we were doing it on one site and then they would shift it to other sites. So it was a really, really cool role. Um, but I was doing fly and fly out and I'm not, you know, I did that for like six years mm. and I'm like, all right, maybe this is enough um, <laughs> before, yeah, anyway, before I get into some of the challenges that people have with fly and fly out. Uh, so I, I decided to actually stop and I studied an M- MBA in France actually. And I was thinking, what am I going to do next in my career? I had some consulting opportunities. Consulting wasn't really that exciting to me. But I kept thinking about reliability, productivity, and I kept thinking about actually all the time that we invested on the machines. Why don't we invest that same time on our humans, like the human workforce? Humans maybe can be seen as machines, you know, and and you need to have reliable humans to get your operations working. Like look at the challenges, you know, we're in, what are we, July 2022 and all the challenges that Qantas have at the moment yeah. because they can't get workers. You know, their workers are sick or they don't have people and their entire operation grinds to a halt. It's the same in all workforce, in all companies with their workforces. So the idea I had was can we do reliability engineering for humans? Can we look at them like we do with machines? Can we invest money into making them more productive, breaking down less, and can we increase the reliability and, op- and productivity of our operations this way? So Sotra Analytics was started on that principle and um, we didn't even know what we were going to do. Um, I met my co-founder, Alexi, um, so he's our CTO, and we said, all right, let's do something. Yeah. The idea we ended up doing was let's put a sensor on people, let's get live data, let's figure out when problems are happening and let's stop these problems from happening, just like we did with machines. The specific problem we started in solving was called musculoskeletal injuries. So these are back injuries, shoulder injuries. You know, if you get a back injury, it's extremely expensive. Two to 3% of people get these injuries every year mm. from workplace, um, like workplace incidents, accidents, injuries. So it's a multi-billion dollar, it's actually a trillion dollar problem if you look at it across the world. What we do at SOTA is we have sensors and then other data sources that predict these injuries are going to happen. We coach workers on how to avoid these injuries. We work with our customers to improve workplaces to reduce the risk on the individuals. And we help people reduce injuries. Like the the sort of data we get back is 50% plus reduction in injuries. Yeah, wow. So, of course, a great productivity improvement, but it's also a pretty cool personal mission as well Mm. to help people get home, be safer, be happier. Matt, in setting up the business, um, did you need that initial injection of capital, whether it was yourself or investors or fools, family, friends, as they call it, yeah. um, or bootstrapping in those very early stages with uh, Alexi, was it? Yep. Um, t- take us through that journey. Yeah, we are really lucky actually. Um, we, Alexi and I, we bounced a couple of ideas together um, and we, I was lucky enough to get a meeting with the CEO of Roy Hill, so one of the mining companies here in Perth. And the idea we were pitching at the time, it was a good idea, but it wasn't really what Roy Hill needed. It was it was around the fleet management of trucks and anyway, it, it didn't go anywhere. Um, but what he did is he gave us their innovation um, plan or roadmap 
And one of the slides on that roadmap was wearable technology is the future, but no good solutions currently exist. Mm. And that really kicked off the spark. It was like, oh, you know, I know how sensors work. I know how it can work with machines. It can work for humans as well. I really believe in this slide. So we took that away. We analyzed it. We built some ideas and we came back to them with what became one of our wearable sensors. And they funded us about $60,000 to build a prototype, test it on site um, and prove sort of something of the concept Mm -hmm. that we could actually make a solution that reduces injuries. When we actually tested it, it was a complete shit show. (laughs) Um, It was the worst trial you've ever seen in your life. Like it didn't work. The concept we had didn't work. The technology didn't work. Nothing worked. Um, And right at the end on the last day of this week, we were up in the Pilgrim. Um, we just ripped it all apart and we stuck a sen- we stuck a smartwatch actually on the back of one of the workers. We sticky taped it on in 50 degrees Celsius yeah. heat and this <laughs> thing like stays on for like, I don't know, 10 seconds before it falls off. But we got that tiny little bit of data that we're able to turn into an algorithm that then proved enough that, hey, we can actually do something here. Um, and that then led into a follow-on contract with them, you know, so that was a little bit more funding that kept us going. We got an early stage investor who gave us like another 40000 Australian dollars, so that was like a little bit more. And then we had customer two, customer three. Um, so we were actually at that point profitable while building our solution, mm. which is very, very rare in this, in this, in this world. But with that traction um, – then we got some investors. So we got some angel investors. I think we raised about one and a half million Australian in one of our early rounds. Was that in Perth or? No, this was internationally actually. Mm, yeah. So um, we we left Australia, unfortunately. Um, fortunately, unfortunately, who knows? For us, fortunately, I guess. Um, so we left pretty early um, for two reasons. We had an R&D team in Estonia in Europe and Australia is just a very long way away from Estonia. And the, the the whole company was building product at that point. So it's like you can't be that far away mm. from your team. Um, but secondly, it was to access capital. Um, Australia is a disaster in raising money. Um, and it's so stupid as well because in early stage investors in Europe, in, in America are getting five, ten times returns on their funds. You know, like if you're an angel investor and you invest in ten companies, one or two of them are going to do okay. Mm. And you're going to get like a – just on all the money you spend, you're going to get at least a five times return on that money. But here we put it in some random mining company that has tricked you into investing in a, you know, in a small raise, and, mm-hmm. and then yeah. the, suddenly the mineral deposit didn't exist anymore because you know it never was there in the first place. <laughs> um, and that's where all the money in WA goes to. Um, and I think it's really silly. Mm. And, and when did you sort of know it was going to work? Was there a specific customer relationship or? You were like, this is, okay, I think we've really got something here. Oh, I still hope it's going to work. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, we, it's working. Um, so I don't know if there was that moment um, that we, we, we always felt like, hey, we need to prove it, we need to prove ourselves. Um, we always had this chip on our shoulder, you know, like we never had the lots of money of funding. We got our funding from the customers. So I think every time customer gave us money, we're like, all right, they believe in something. At the early days, they were believing in the vision and then they started believing in the prototype and then they started believing in the solution and now we scale it to like some of the biggest companies in the world. So 
that was the proof points for us. It's not investor money. Um, it's customers saying, hey, I, I like this. Here's some money. Matt, if you could tell us, what, what have been some of the difficulties, technical difficulties, financial difficulties, hurdles, and how have you overcome them along the way? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, so some of the difficulties in the early days was access to capital, Yeah, um, as we talked about already. But also trying to attract a team at a very early stage um, could be a difficulty. For us, we did pretty well because um, if anyone ever meets Alexi, um, he can, he can, he'll have a million people behind him, you know, like he's a genuine leader. Um, myself as well with the vision, like communicating that to people, getting people excited about the mission of Soter Analytics. So getting people has been a challenge, but not the biggest challenge. Um, I mean, we went through COVID. Yeah. So when COVID started 2020, I was actually here in Perth and I was, Woolworths is one of our customers and I think I did some meeting with them that day and then I, I got back to my parents' place and I had a beer with my dad and I'm like, I think the world is fucked. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and we had some insight as well before that because we were manufacturing our product at that point um, mm. and we couldn't get batteries out of China. This mm. was in February 2020. Mm. And Alexi's like, no, nah, no, nah, it's all good. It'll be all right. And I'm like, man, I don't think it is going to be all right. <laughs> um, all the factories were shut. They wouldn't give us batteries. Um, I actually sold, sold every share I had. Um, and then rebought them all back two months later. Two months later, yep. Good so not bad. Well done. Yeah. Good job, Matt. <laughs> um, but yeah, we, we started to get that early insight. But then I was sitting there with my dad and I'm like, oh, this is not good. So I flew back to Europe. Mm. Um, and then I didn't go on a flight again for till October that year. You know, uh, we, were, we were not sure like what was going to happen with our customers. Yeah. Um, in the end for us, it was quite advantageous in that like our customers started doing injury prevention, safety, productivity. They started doing it all remotely and we were the perfect solution for this. Like they could deploy our technology without actually going to a site or spending time at a site. So we're a little bit lucky in that way. Um, so, yeah, we had COVID. Um, I mean now we have inflation. Yeah. We have supply chains getting rocked. Um, we have war in Europe. Uh there's a capital crunch in venture capital. We did our raise just before that started. So I feel like we just go from crisis to crisis yeah. to crisis. And one of the things I'm most proud about about the team in SOTA is the resilience. Like, you know, we this team is so resilient that I don't know what crisis will break us, but not yet. Linking on from that, sort of what have been some of the big highlights for you, um, some of the successes and sort of what's kept you going? I think the... The biggest success is not the most exciting, but the biggest for me, the, what really made me extremely passionate was I was talking to, I was at visiting one of our customers, right? And I'm in the warehouse and I'm walking around and then this this woman came up and she's like, oh, you're the Soto guy. And I'm like, yeah, yeah that's this my company. And she's like, it's so cool. Like when I, when I went home, yeah, like I've been wearing a sensor for a week, I'm starting to go home without pain for the first time in my career. And I'm, I'm like, oh shit yeah. <laughs> like that sort of impact like yeah. i think most people go through entire lifetimes without having an impact like that mm -hmm. and and now we start to get stories like this every couple of days so it's hundreds of people maybe thousands of people having that sort of impact from our technology so that's definitely a highlight for me um i mean growing the team to 50 the the team 
yeah, it's they lack family almost sometimes, especially with some of the stuff that we've gone through. Um, so that's good. The the I'm I'm super passionate about people in the team that have risen through the ranks and you know now hold very influential and senior roles in the team. I'm passionate about um, the diversity we have in the team. So we have 55% women in the team in a right. tech company. This is this is almost unheard of, mm-hmm. especially an early stage tech company. Um, and then of course. The headline grabbing stuff is the investment we raised. To me, this is the least exciting. Like, like solving the problem of investors giving you their money, it's not that an amazing problem to solve. But yeah, we've done a 16 million Australian round. Um, I think our Series B potentially could be a lot bigger than that as well. So there's exciting stuff like that as well that's happened. Matt, perhaps a final question before we move into some more of the the personal questions to get to know you a little bit better personally. Um, getting your crystal ball out, the horizon moving forward, um, what are the plans for the next few years? So we're laser-focused at the moment. We So our solution is helping customers avoid injuries in the workplace, right? The Our current customers, I feel like, are all trying to do that individually. They're all got their own safety teams, their, their injury management advisors. Everyone's trying to do it themselves and – I, th- I think it's fair to say like most companies are struggling with it because they don't have a consistent approach. They don't have economies of scale. What I see is a highly fragmented market. Through our platform, our technology platform, and then expertise on how to deploy the platform and then the huge injury reductions that we see, the goal in the next couple of years is starting to consolidate this fragmented market. Um, and this is a pretty standard business play. Like if you've got fragmentation, someone's going to consolidate it at some point. So the way I see it is customers don't build their own trucks, right? They go to the company that builds trucks. They don't construct their own factories. And I think they should in the future be doing injury management all by themselves, unsupported. The goal for Soto is to come in, support their safety teams, but come on, come in with this consistent approach, which is proven, it works, um, it's going to be cheaper, so more value to the customer. It's going to increase the productivity and the reliability of their of their operations and it's just going to make people's lives better as well. So really focused around starting to prove that we can consolidate this market. And a shout out to the Startup West podcast sponsors. The Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and is made possible by the support from Space Cubed, Curtin University, RSM, the City of Perth, Dinner Twist and TechOn. Matt, I know you touched on it briefly a little bit earlier, but uh, perhaps can you take us back through your career from your own schooling? Um, are you WA born and bred? Yep, I am. So I grew up in Armidale, um, which sounds scary, but it was awesome childhood. Um, so we would we would just every day after school jump on our bikes and ride somewhere. So it was a very like free range sort of lifestyle, which is good. Um, and I think that's really important, by the way, if we want to get into parenting advice, like we can do a whole episode on that, yeah. I think. But <laughs> I, th- I think it's really important to like expose people to risk and then help them understand like which risks to take, which ones not to take. Um, and that's what my childhood was. Like it was, you know, growing up in Armadale, if you, if you do something maybe not ideal, it can have some consequences, eh? Yeah. Um, but it was good fun. Um, we would play footy every day, soccer, whatever. So it was a pretty good childhood. So I didn't get really serious about school until the last couple of years. Um, so I was, you know, I had a lot of fun at school in the early years. I, I made a lot of bit of trouble along the way. 
And in then you get to year 10 and they're like, okay, what are you going to do in your career? And I had a, I wanted to go to university. I was like, okay, I guess I'll go to university. And my dad really wanted me to as well, my mum as well. And then the school or, or a couple of people in the school were starting to question that and almost blocking it, saying like the grades aren't good enough, he wasn't serious enough. Um, so then I thought, okay, maybe I'll become a chef. And then my dad said, no, I think you can go to university. So he, he stood up and said, no, I, he can do this. And then, yeah, I did. I got some really good grades in the last year. Um, I actually even got um, accepted into a law degree in UWA. So the grades were pretty good. But my dad wanted to be an engineer, I guess, his whole life. Um, so he's like, you'll be an engineer or you should be an engineer. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? I'll be an engineer, okay. I was, I, well, I was pretty good at the reliability stuff, but when it comes to designing things and I, I'm one of the worst engineers going around, like I get the, <laughs> I get the concepts, but when it comes to actually doing the work, I'm like, ah, there's too much detail for me, yeah. you know, but it got me into this, this role in BHP, which I was describing before. And it wasn't, it wasn't really technical engineering. It was, it was more data analytics, to be honest. And then I found that I had this real passion around data and understanding data, turning it into insights and then insights are great, but then how do you act on those insights? So then the career started to develop into leading teams, leading projects, you know, making the improvements, making sure they're sustained. Going into that productivity piece, which I'm really passionate about, I think productivity is is the most exciting thing. If you can if you can increase the productivity of an organization, it's very exciting, very rewarding as well. Um, and then yeah, I I traveled extensively through my university mm -hmm. um i think every summer i ended up in europe and i you know I, I finished my engineering degree i actually finished in the winter so it wasn't like the typical graduate mm -hmm. hiring season mm -hmm. um so i thought all right i'm gonna travel more so i flew to tianjin in china i took the trans-siberian up through mongolia across russia um into estonia i met alexi um, at this point, I met my my wife as well. So, you know, and, and now we have two kids as well. So this sort of exposed that whole part of the world to me in a different way that I never had. I then ended up in Canada. Um, I ended up really north Alberta as well at some point. And then I ran out of money and I called my dad and I said, I need to go home. And he booked me a ticket home. And then I said, I'm going to go past Europe. And he said, why are you going past Europe? Yeah. I said, oh, I don't know. <laughs> and he's like, uh -huh, uh -huh, uh -huh. Um, Anyway, I ended up back in Perth eventually. Um, and then I got into that BHP graduate program. It was a very, very good program. So they exposed you to lots of different parts of the business. I realized some of the things I didn't like, which was that mm. really technical part of engineering. I then found what I did like, which was reliability engineering. Um, and yeah, that, that's how I, that's how I ended up there. But then I decided to actually move to Europe as well after about six years of working for BHP and I did my MBA in Paris. Um, I then was going to live in Europe and I'm like, what am I going to do in Europe? You know? So I had some, as I was saying earlier, I had some consulting offers, um, and I had a, I had an offer from McKinsey actually, which is one of the top firms, consulting firms. And I got to that final interview, like basically the discussing of the role. And I said, do I really have to wear a suit and tie every day? And they said, yes, yes, that's very important customer. And I'm like, this, okay, this isn't going to work, guys. <laughs> so because anyone who knows me, I don't even own a shirt anymore. It's all <laughs> T-shirts. And um, I thought, you know what, I'll just start my own business. You know, I'll live in Europe. I'll just start my own business. And that was the start of Sota Analytics. 
And through school and university, did you show any entrepreneurial potential? Like were you interested in entrepreneurship or um, where did that sort of evolve from? That not, came later? <laughs> not really, hey, because I didn't mm. even think about it. Mm. Like starting your own business, like a tech business as mm. well, like in Perth, like you just don't, like at least back then you didn't really get exposed to stuff like this. But I think you can, I think entrepreneurs can be spotted even though if they're not doing entrepreneurial stuff, mm. you know. So I was always disrupting, like always making trouble in a way, always always challenging the status quo. Um, good, good. Uh, some of my best leaders understood this and then some people were really threatened by this but most of them supported it and like gave me the opportunity to explore and, and test things and try things um, but yeah I didn't grow up thinking to be an entrepreneur and uh, and to be honest I don't know if that works as well like when you, when you have university courses around entrepreneur like how to be an entrepreneur I'm like you know nothing you know like you know the stupidest people in the world are going to university they don't know anything about life. They're drinking all the time. They're getting taught about something. They have no idea how to apply it in the real world. And it's like, oh, I'm going to be an entrepreneur. I'm like, maybe you learn something about life first. Yeah. Um, and when I did learn something about life and, and start to get some of those successes, then I thought, okay, like maybe I can do this. Matt, based on uh, your experiences now and extensive experiences worldwide and globally, um, distilling it and bringing it back to, I guess, the Perth WA startup community and scene, um, what advice would you give to the Perth startup scene at this stage? Um, at the most controversial, get out of Perth, but it's not really the answer. Um, I think you've got to, you know, we we have we now have let's say thirty people in Estonia, and Estonia has the most startups per capita in the world. This com- this country is just the it's so amazing what they've done with this ecosystem. So, and I think Perth could or w or australia could replicate that but we've got this whole mining thing happening and and it just takes everyone's focus unfortunately mining but when you look at estonia they say look out of estonia from day one because like one and a half million people live in estonia um if you're gonna if you're gonna make a tech business if you're gonna make a business a startup like this you've got to think worldwide from day one and i think that's the same in perth like when you're starting a business in perth You've got to think worldwide, like because you make a business that works for Perth. It's going to be a small Perth business. You know, it's going to service the mining industry. It's going to have long sales cycles of these mining industries. Yeah, you're going to make some money probably, um, but the world is so big. Like the US is so like you know, there's there's like 30, 40 cities like Perth in yeah. the US, and then between the cities, when you fly over the US, between these cities, especially on the east coast, it's just people everywhere like there's so many people there's so much business being done um same in europe as well although they're a little bit more conservative and a little bit slower but there's just so many people and so my number one advice for anyone who wants to start a business in perth is look outside perth from day one Mm -hmm. when it comes to money and and investing and and supporting startups i think people just need need to be smarter honestly like if you like we all know the stories of someone that invested in some small mining company that went big, but these stories aren't very common. Hey? Mm. The majority of these stories are that the company failed and you lost all your money. Yeah. Why Why people keep chasing this dream makes no sense. You, you look at the returns of investing, especially early stage in a tech business, if you invest in 10 of them, 
you're probably going to get a five times return on your investment over the next 10 years. And if not, you're going to have some pretty cool stories at mm. least because, you know, early stage businesses, they share their stories with you as an investor. You see what they tried, what worked, what didn't work. I mean, if nothing else, some good stories. But you're probably going to get a really healthy return on investment. And I can't get my head around why people in Perth and in Australia in general aren't supporting early stage businesses. And don't take 50% of their equity. Like I, I did one pitch in Perth. I went to Perth Angels, right? Right. Mm-hmm. And we already had customers. Like like when I did the same, I did the same talk one, I think it was like a week later in London. So in Perth, like everyone's like, oh, yeah, whatever. Like the, the guys that were still awake at the end of it. Um, and I'm not <laughs> a bad presenter, by the way, but, you know, they obviously had very long days. Um so the ones that were still awake, like some guy came up to me and he said, oh, I'll, I'll invest like 50000 I'm like, all right, 50000 you know, we could put that into some sort of um, group and, mm-hmm. and then turn that into a real investment. He's like, yep, yeah, but I need 51%. I'm like, yeah, right, mate. <laughs> I'm going to give you control of the business valuing it at $100,000. Like when I have a, I mean, no, just even if I had nothing, no, like my time, come mm. on. Um, and then I did the same talk in London and all of a sudden, like, you know, th- four or five of these people, they, they come up to me and then they start talking to each other and then they start putting a round together for me. And that valuation was like three, three and a half million pounds yeah. at that point. So maybe $6 million. Um, and I'm like, okay, this is, this is serious, right? Those investors now are getting like double digit returns, like times, to, like, like 10 times plus. I, I can't think exactly what it is, but something like that on their investment. So you you can invest 50,000 at a 100,000 valuation in Perth and completely lose the motivation of the founder and say goodbye to your $50,000 if the founder is stupid enough to accept that. Um, or you can be realistic, you know, take a small part of a potentially very exciting big pie and get some really, really good returns. Mm. So I just think the whole ecosystem has to get better. Yeah, I think the probably in the last couple of years there's been a bunch of change in that space where um, a number of investors that invested in businesses sort of sort of eight to ten years ago are now getting returns on their investment. So yeah, it's been interesting to see how that has shifted. Yeah, but it's been short term, right? It's the last few years. So. Yeah, but it's good to mm. see. Really yeah. good to see. Mm. Um, we might go to the rapid fire questions. So just some quick answers. Um, uh, what is the single most important factor that makes a successful startup? <laughs> yeah, right. Um, <laughs> resi- I, I, you know, resilience. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Resilient. Like you you need to, like things are going to hit you constantly. If you don't have resilience, there's no way you can get anywhere. So you got to, if you want to be a startup founder, I think you've really got to seriously analyze what you've done in your life. And when things get hard, what do you do? Because things are going to get hard. And if you can't handle like, if you can't handle your electricity turning off or if you can't handle when someone was mean at you at work and like if you can't work through some of these smaller stuff in life, there's no way you have what it takes mm. for a startup. Matt, if you were to wave your magic wand over the local startup scene, what would you wish into being or even wish away? I would wish it to be like Estonia. Like we have a similar, um, mm. we have a similar size of population. We have a lot more money in here than they do in Estonia. Um, I wish that, you know, every third person in Perth was working for a tech startup and I really believe it could happen. 
Who do you most admire in the global tech scene? Could be a company or a person. Yeah, I think uh, there's a really small company I'm, I'm looking at at the moment watching. And again, they're out of Lithuania, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think they solve a really cool problem. So, okay, they don't have the success yet. And, you know, most of startups will fail at this point. So maybe they'll fail. But they're a company called Tippet. Um, and you don't realize in Australia around tipping. Mm-hmm. So in the US, tipping is pretty well, um, like tipping your waiters, right? Like it's pretty well entrenched. They have a pretty good system. In Europe, in the Middle East, the system sucks and, and tipping is becoming way more important. And I think in Australia, it should become more important as well. You know, respecting the person that serves you, you know, they're on a minimum wage, like showing a bit of gratitude to them. So they have this cool piece of hardware where basically you can enter your tip and then tap your card and it just makes the whole process so efficient. So it's a really good example of the kinds of things that impress me. Like, okay, there's a problem, but the problem is can't be solved because of the inefficiencies in the system and then it's a solution to solve those inefficiencies. So all solutions like that like make me pretty excited. Matt, how can anyone listening to you on this podcast today help you help Soda Analytics and the business moving forward? I think the best thing is to just learn more about our mission. Um, So if you go into our website, if you see some of the great content that's been published around us, whether it's around the concept or the results, um, we have webinars online, like understand the mission of what we're trying to do, um, I think is the best help that you can do to us. Like you'll get excited by it, honestly, because the way we're approaching this problem is in a way that no one really has done before. And final one, uh, what do you do to get away from it all? So relax and recharge. Yeah, so I'm not really good at this. Um, <laughs> I, I run every day or I go to the gym every day. So that's that sort of keeps my physical health in check. Um, I, I have two kids, which are pretty cool. Like keeps me grounded. So I have a seven-year-old boy and a one-year-old girl. Um, and spending time with them, especially my son, who's just hilarious. Like he, he always makes me laugh. So that's pretty good. Um, other than that, I actually really like catching up with groups of friends, just going to the pub, you know, talk shit, yeah. um, make fun of stuff. Like you got to be really careful. You don't do that with people you work with or who you're doing that yeah. with, cause you can get in a little bit of trouble. Um, touch wood, not yet. Um, but yeah, I, I love that. You know, it's just classic Aussie banter. I like that. Brilliant. Well, thanks, Matt, for your time today. Uh, We sincerely would like to wish you continued growth and success with Soda Analytics and uh, look forward to uh, the great viewership and readership and listenership uh, of this podcast today. Thanks for having me. Thank you. Also, thanks to our sponsors. Startup West podcast is produced by Startup News and is made possible by the support from Space Cubed, Curtin University, RSM, the City of Perth, Inner Twist and Techon. We record this podcast at Rift Podcast Studios in beautiful downtown Perth, Western Australia. Don't forget to subscribe to Startup West on your favourite pod platform so our latest episodes appear in your feed. And if you like what you hear, please leave us a review. We'd love to hear from you.